Welcome to Passion Life Church. This morning, welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here. And this is actually part six of a seven-part series that we're going to continue next week talking about raising kids. But today in part six, we are going to talk about what I call we harmony, not e-harmony. We Harmony, and we're going to talk today about the power of unity when a family can come together. But we're also going to talk about how to guard against a divided house. And I'm so glad that you came this morning. You survived the sex message last week. Come on, somebody. And uh, it, it was awesome. It was worth waking up early for daylight saving time. How many of you are still recovering from that? Let me see. One hour of sleep makes the difference. You know, when I think about marriage, I think sometimes... We can go into it with a little bit of misconceptions. It's like our dreams of marriage can start out like Cinderella and Prince Charming and hopes that we're going to have this fairy tale experience. But I'm still waiting for Cinderella Part 2, where it talks about the real life. Come on, somebody. How many of you know then reality sets in? It's like, mm, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. And this is what this series is about. Ideal family is about closing the gap between the ideal family, maybe this fairy tale experience that we all have of our wedding and what our kids are going to be like, and closing the gap on that and real life to get us from this real life experience that we have into this ideal family. And this has been our theme scripture, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3. It says, through wisdom, come on, everybody say wisdom. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is what we've said. The Bible talks about wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge when you need to apply it. And the Bible says that that wisdom will build the house. Knowledge is really the truth or the facts, and that fills the room. And then the Bible talks about understanding, the, the meaning, the meaning of, of what that is. And the Bible says that if we'll have these, that our rooms in our house can be greatly profited. You know, I love that the way that it says it in the Living Translation. It says this, any enterprise, any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense. How many of you found out that common sense isn't so common anymore? in 2018, right? Any enterprise is built by wise planning and becomes strong through common sense and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. And what we've been doing throughout this series is giving wisdom, God's wisdom on family, God's wisdom on marriage, God's wisdom on sex. And so today as we talk about living in we harmony and we talk about a, a divided house, I want us to really, really focus in because I think that God has some great things to help us guard our homes. Do you know that today, if you were to get married today, the average cost of a wedding is $32,329. Come on, somebody say bridezilla. Come on. 30, that, that, that's, that's a down payment for a house, people. $32,329. But you know what's amazing to me? I think what's amazing to me is that how much people will spend on a wedding, but they never spend anything close to that in investing in their marriage. 
So, yeah, it's all about the day. And after you said, I do, but then what happens in the real life when sometimes you want to say, I don't? You know what I mean? There's got to be an investment. There's got to be an investment. And here's the truth. You know, any enterprise, any system left to itself, your marriage, your family, you know what? It'll deteriorate if it's not cared for. It needs to be cared for. And let me, let me take it another step closer. It needs to be invested in. And this week I was just looking at some, some statistics. And a Harvard study shows that most marriages have a one in two chance of surviving. But listen, those that go to church regularly, pray together, read their Bibles together, have a one in 1,105 chance of divorce. One in 1,000 chance of divorce just by doing what you're doing today is coming to church, praying, and reading your Bible. And I want to congratulate you today. Because today, by you being here, what you're doing is you're making an investment in your family. And maybe you're single and you're like, I don't have a family, I'm not married. Well, can I just tell you, you're still making an investment in future of understanding, hey, and a lot of us didn't have a lot of teaching when, when, we, when we grew up like this that really could help us and, and help us to know what God thought. Another study I saw showed that couples who attended church together at least once a month increased their chances of staying married for life. I was telling somebody this week that uh, I said, you know, if you'll just take an hour, an hour and 15 minutes of your Sunday and invest in your marriage, it's cheaper than divorce. An hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. Oh, I just don't have the time. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Divorce is a lot more expensive. And sometimes we don't want to invest and we don't want to hear wisdom. But I got to tell you, if God, since he designed marriage, we're going to let him define it. Right? Since he designed and created the family, we're going to let him define it. Right? We're going to let him define it. And I believe you're making that investment today. You know, let's talk about we harmony. Let's talk about the power of unity. I always thought about this. Why is it that the enemy fights so hard against unity? Why is that? And Jesus made this statement, Mark chapter 3, verse 24. Jesus said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now, Jesus is giving us some incredible wisdom of how some of the greatest kingdoms, how some of the greatest houses fell. Many cities in the Bible in Jesus' time had walled cities. I mean, had, had walls around their cities, and those walls were to protect that city from outside intrusion. And Jesus said this about the church. He said in Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So Jesus was saying outside forces will not prevail against the church. Outside forces aren't going to prevail against the church. But here's what Jesus was saying. He was giving us some insight. He says, but since the enemy can't prevail against us on the outside, his strategy is to prevail from the inside out. From the inside out. And if the people within the house or the kingdom can become divided, the house and that kingdom will fall. Let, let me say it this way and let me illustrate it this way. I think we go through great lengths to protect our houses, right, to protect our homes. And I, be I believe we should, right? Some of us may have two, uh, two deadbolt locks on our doors, or, and then we put these motion sensor lights, right, that if somebody walks by, boom, the light comes on, right? Or a little raccoon walks by, and boom, the light, and it's supposed to give the illusion, hey, we're, 
We're, we're awake. We know what's, what's going on. And we put sensors on our doors. I was at my brother's house. They, every time a door opens, this little beep goes off, right? Because we don't want little kids at their age saying, I'm out of here. I'm running away at three years old, right? And when that door opens, the boop, right? We understand. It's, it's for protection. I don't know what it is about kids like three to five years old. They're just like taking off. Like we're talking about teenagers running away from home. I'm talking about like three-year-olds. Like I'm out of here. Right? I see them at Target all the time. Like they see mom and they just go. And then we were at Disneyland and I understood what this parent's philosophy is. They had, remember those backpacks where it's like a monkey and the tail and then the parents are holding the tail and the kid thinks it's a monkey but it's actually a ball and chain. Come on somebody. For the parents, you know, but I, I get that. But at my brother's house, they have these beeps, right? Because we want to know every time a door or window is open, what's happening. And it's all about really protecting our, our homes. Or, you know, for some of us, you have a dog. You have your little chihuahua named Pudding in the back with no teeth in the backyard. And, and when somebody comes, he's not going to bite somebody. He's going to gum somebody to death. Met a dog this week had no teeth, right? And so pretty interesting. And these chihuahuas, a lot of, and I think it's more prevalent with chihuahuas. I don't, I don't understand that. They just don't have teeth. And then, of course, you have to make sure you have a cat. Now, we don't understand why, but people have cats, okay? And if you uh, have one, God bless you, and uh, we will pray for you. Because <laughs> we understand cat people. Well, Jesus does. Nobody else does. So anyway, and here's what Jesus was saying. He's saying you can put all the fortresses up, all the motion sensors in your house. I know people have cameras in their house. You can do all these and bring all these walls up to protect yourself from the outside. But here's the reality, that just because a city or a house has walls doesn't mean that it can't collapse. That it can't collapse. Because even kingdoms with walls, they, they must be aware that division comes always from within. Always from within. And today, I believe, is going to be a little bit sobering for us because this is something that I believe destroys a lot of marriages because the enemy thrives. The enemy works through division and confusion. But God always works through order. God works through peace. And God works through unity. Even when you look at creation, what, when you look back in creation, the first thing God does is he brings order to chaos. I'm going to tell you, when there's order, there's always peace. When there's no order and confusion, there's no peace. And see, even for some of us in our house, we wonder why there's no peace, because there's no established order. You know, and we live in a society, we'll talk about this a little bit next week, where we live in a society where, you know, we don't want to tell our kids, you know, this, or we don't want to tell our kids that. You know, I had a parent one time, we talked about disciplining kids, and they were walking out of the lobby, and, and he looked at his little guy, and he's like, okay, Pastor Phil said that we could uh, discipline you. Pastor Phil did not say I, you could discipline your, your kid. The Bible talks about that. Please do not bring me into your family, Okay. I want to love your family and don't in your arguments with your wife. Well, Pastor Phil said, no, 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 just, just you, you work on that. <laughs> right? But it's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. But we, we live in a society where our, we don't want to say anything, but yet our houses can be chaotic. And then we wonder why there's no peace. Then we wonder why, what's going on? And I want to tell you, the enemy thrives in confusion. The enemy thrives in division. Are you here this morning? 
And so when you look back at the creation of the earth, here's what Jesus did. Jesus looked into, the Bible says the earth was without form and void, and he spoke and he said, let there be light. What was he doing? He was creating order in chaos. He was creating order in chaos. And you know the story of creation? God created Adam and Eve, and we looked at that in, in our series, and, and they fell, mankind fell. But here's what happened. After they fell, God is going to come talk to them, and God is going to show them a result of the fall of their decisions. Now, let me say this, because I want to say it again, because I get asked this all the time. And as a pastor, if you're ever going to be a pastor, you need to know two things. Number one, why Jesus and why God put the tree in the garden. You need to know that. And then the second one is, why did all the dinosaurs die? That's what everybody wants to know. When were the dinosaurs? And I saw Jurassic Park, and I, so I need to know, where did they all go? What did God have to do? That's, you need to know those. But we're not going to talk about dinosaurs today. So, but here's what we're going to talk about. God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden to give man a choice. Because love without choice is not love, it's control. And so that's our, one of our biggest fears is to be controlled. And God's not going to control anybody. But he put that in the garden so man could make a decision. Man could choose to love God, obey God, or man could do and choose to do what he wanted to do. And God said, you can eat of every tree. All of this is for you, Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. And then when the enemy came in, because Adam and Eve came together in unity... The enemy comes in, he starts to speak to them, and they fall. And I want you to notice what God begins to tell Adam and Eve that is a result of their bad decisions. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Just look at the big Bible on the screen. Ready? Here it goes. To the woman, now God is talking to Eve. He's talking about consequences for her action. He said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, and your conception. Isn't it interesting that now it's not called um, conception, it's called labor. It's called labor because there's pain. And it says in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, listen to this, and he shall rule over you. Then Adam, he's, to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of, of your wife, you have eaten the tr of the tree, which I commanded you, saying, you should not eat. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Toil you shall eat of all of the days of your life. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to the ground. Can I just stop here just for a moment? Because in two weeks we're going into Easter. The Bible is so rich. God is telling Adam, right, what's happening as a result of his fall, that how he's going to have to work the ground from the sweat of his brow. He's going to have to labor. And I find this very interesting that in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus began to sweat, and he began to sweat from his head. But God was telling the first Adam, you're gonna have stress, and stress is a part, listen, can I just tell you, stress is a part of the curse. It's not part of what God has for our lives. It's a result of the fall. And so he tells Adam, you're gonna sweat, and then he says, he talks about these thorns and these thistles that you're gonna, and isn't it interesting that the first place that Jesus bled was from his head because he sweat, and then they put a crown of thorns on his head because Jesus was gonna come back, and he 
is the last Adam, and so he's going to undo what the first Adam did. Adam sinned, the first Adam, in a garden. Jesus sweat blood, and the first place the blood fell was in a garden because he was going to undo what the first Adam did. But he is talking. Isn't that good this morning? Because Jesus, and God is telling him in Genesis, and Jesus already knew what was going to happen in the New Testament to set us free from the stress and from the toil that we have to go through that the curse brings. Jesus knew every part of it, and he was going to go through it so you and I can live above the curse. Now, here's what's important. In verse 17, it says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till uh, you return from the ground, for out of you, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. That sounds like a good song, right? I should write Dust in the Wind. That would be a great song. And so he's telling them what's going to happen. Now I want you to notice this. God is telling them, and if you look in the, the real Hebrew, God is not saying, I'm doing this to you. God is saying, this is a result of what you did. This is a result of your decisions. All of these things. See, a lot of people think that God is doing things to them, and in actuality, it's just a, a result of their bad decisions and the consequences that they are experiencing. So God wasn't, I'm just going to be honest with you, God never wanted for women when they were, went to labor for there to be pain. That was, not, that was never God's intention. As a matter of fact, he wanted them to be fruitful and multiply without pain. But because when sin entered into the world, guess what happened? It brought the curse. And so the curse is released in the earth. But it was never God's intention. It was never God's intention. And when you read verse 16, it says, your desire shall be for your husband. He was talking to Eve, and he says this, and he shall rule over you. And then the wife. So God is saying, Eve, ladies, you're going to turn to your husband, and you're supposed to find strength. You're supposed to find comfort. You're supposed to find a servant's heart. But guess what you're going to find? You're going to find the curse. You're going to find men ruling over women. Now let me say, that is under the curse. Domination, when a man dominates anyone else, a woman, that comes from the curse. That doesn't come from God. I thought I'd get a better amen from the ladies. Come on, Pastor Phil. Preach it today. Let me say it. Male domination is part of the curse. So what happened was contention came in because of what? Because of the curse. God wanted unity, but the enemy wanted contention. And this word rule means, listen to this. When he says the husband will rule over the wife, it says this. Uh, ruling means contend with you and dominate you. But you know, that is all a part of the curse. But here's the great news today. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Isn't it interesting that the curse comes into the world and Jesus, the Bible says, became a curse so you don't have to live under this curse. So he became a curse. The Bible also says that Jesus became poor so you could become well supplied. He took all that. He became sick so you could become healed. Now, here's the dilemma of Christianity. And I think we don't understand. There is a curse in this earth. Cancer. Come on. Diabetes. All of that is under the curse. But now we have Christian people who Jesus has delivered from the curse living in this cursed world. Now, here's the question you're going to have to ask. 
Has the curse come to you? And has the curse come to you? What are you going to do about it? Because I know Christians that are living under the curse. Because they don't understand what Jesus did. That we don't have to live under the curse. Jesus became that curse so I could live free. Come on somebody this morning. And I'm tired of Christians talking about the curse. Why don't you talk about Christ more than you talk about the curse? Come on. Is Jesus' sacrifice that, you minimize his sacrifice that much? That the curse means more to you than what Christ did? Man, I think sometimes if Jesus were to talk with us, he'd say, I became a curse. So stop talking about the curse. You are not cursed. Jesus was cursed so you could live free. Man, I feel like preaching. It's not even Easter. Come on, somebody. And so the curse is in the earth. And homes where you find contention, can I just tell you? In homes that you find contention, the curse is knocking at your door. Now, I'm not saying you're bad or evil people, but I want to wake us today that the enemy wants to destroy your family. And I'm using those words. The Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants something that God made so amazing, family, marriage, and it's supposed to be like heaven. He wants it to be absolute hell for you. Because he doesn't like what God, he doesn't like the institution that God set up. He hates God. And his goal is not just to divide you. His goal is to destroy your family and to you, for you to walk away hurt and bitter. And I, I'm being very sobering today and very, because I'm seeing people who can't get along. I'm seeing people who can't work this thing out in marriage. And do you know that 86% of divorces are for non-severe circumstances? 86% of divorces are not for adultery. It's not because of abuse. It's just because we can't live in unity. We can't live in unity. This is why Jesus says is that a house divided, listen, against itself. A house that's divided against, they're not even fighting the right enemy. They're fighting each other. And let me just encourage you guys. See, we, guys, we, we, have, we can have the spirit of fight that God put inside of us. The Bible says we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. But some of us can get in the wrong battles and fight the wrong thing. And Jesus is saying that a house that's fighting against itself cannot stand. It cannot stand. You know, it's interesting when Jesus uses that word divided, the Greek word divided means this, divided by discord. You know, in Proverbs, it talks about so many verses and uses this word discord. And it talks about discord can come from people who gossip. Now, let me qualify something here. Let me tell you when you're gossiping. When you're going to somebody who cannot solve the problem. When you talk to somebody that cannot solve your problem and you are just venting, you are gossiping. And here's what you're doing. You are opening the door to the curse and contention because the curse comes with contention. Proverbs talks about people who love contention. You may know them. You may work with them. They pride themselves on always in arguments. And do you know those people? And there's nothing to be proud of there because they're always about contention. Proverbs talks about that discord can be caused by fools. It can be caused by hatred and anger. And Jesus says a house that is divided cannot stand. How does this happen? Jesus said, a house that is divided against. That word against means this. It means with hostile words and accusations. 
So all this contention, all this discord is to keep you from experiencing the great power and the great unity that God has for us in marriage and in family. So if a divided house cannot stand, a united house stands strong. Let me say that again. If a divided house falls, a united house stands strong. There's no question on the stability of the house when the husband and the wife are acting as one. That's the goal of marriage. The two shall become one. The two shall become one. You can see, because God told Adam, he said it's not good for you to be alone. Right? Not, see, not that it's bad to be alone, but the Bible talks about, yeah, there's power in one, but two can do more. Two is better. My wife and I make an incredible team. Sometimes her by herself, I mean, she's awesome. But I, I've noticed how we need each other. Like even the other day, like she is very, very book smart. My wife likes physical therapists, all that. Street smart has no clue. Right? But that's where I come in, you know? Because I'm from the hood of Texas. Yeehaw! Right? So she's got the book smart. I got the street smart. Come on, somebody. Yo. I got it. So together, man, we're an incredible team. Because sometimes when she tells me things, I'm like, you can't figure that out? Like, she, she did great in college. Like, and I got, like, an associate's degree in theology. And she's got, like, this a bachelor's and master's, right? And I got this associate's degree, right, in theology. And there's some things, and I'm like, honey, like, you, you didn't see that? No, I, I didn't see it. And I find out that when we're together, we're awesome. And I'm not saying she's not awesome without me, but we're better together. There's a synergy when we come together. And that's what God is saying. And when you look at the scriptures and when you look at how the Bible talks about unity, you know, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, it says this. Again, I say to you, if two, look at these words, shall agree. I say to you, if two can agree on this earth as touching anything that they shall ask, shall be done. When you and your spouse come together in agreement. Now, it sounds like a very simple scripture, but here's the reality. How have you know agreeing is not easy? It's not easy. But he says, when you can agree, look, as touching anything you ask, it shall be done for you. The Bible says in the book of Acts that when they were in the upper room, the Bible tells us that when, it's interesting, I read this yesterday, when they were in one accord, when they were in one accord, the place started to shake with the power of the Holy Spirit. When? When they were in one accord. Everyone, same thought. Everybody believing the same thing. When that began to happen, guess what? The whole place was shaken. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the power of unity. And this is why the enemy comes in. And I just wonder, I wonder what would happen in your marriage and in your family when there's unity. I wonder. And can I tell you what would happen? You would see the supernatural power of God because God flows in unity. He does not flow in discord. He does not flow in confusion. He flows in unity. Are you glad you came to church today? I'm glad you clapped because you don't know what I'm going to say next. Many people think, and we've been saying throughout this series that when you listen to today's message, you need to listen for you, not for your spouse. Because a lot of people think, if my spouse would just change, 
everything would be okay. And guess what? They're thinking the same about you. If my spouse would just change, everything would be better. And so we can sit here and clap about discord and we can be divided. But today I want to talk about some things and I want you to look at it in your life. Because God forbid you be the one that's dividing people. God forbid that you be the one that the devil is using. You know, Jesus, when he was talking to Peter and he was telling Peter about going to the cross, Peter's like, you're not going to go to the cross. And, he w- and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. In other words, what Peter was doing is he was trying to thwart the plan of God by what he said. Now, he meant well, but he didn't know that he was being used by another spirit. And so it's important that today as we listen and we talk and we talk through some wisdom stuff that you look in your own life. And that's what part of this series is about is wisdom. And so, and I like, this is the way I like to teach. I like, I gave you some really good Bible. I gave you some right from the beginning. We read from Genesis and here's, we're going to make a little transition. Here comes the wisdom part. We're going to talk about some practical ways to have unity, practical ways, because I'm amazed that common sense is not so common. So let me give you today in the remaining time that we have together, let me give you four ways that you can live in unity, okay? Now, if you're single, you're married. If you're single, it's very easy to have this idea, this myth that when I get married, we'll never argue again. No, you'll argue more. Because when you're dating, there's still that, I wanna impress, I wanna, you know. But listen, after you get married, everything's wide open, right? But listen, we need to understand that we know disagreements are always gonna be a part of our relationships. They just will. And we have to debunk this myth that great marriages don't have disagreements. And we've said, we're not here to have perfect marriages. We're here to have great marriages because nobody's perfect. But with God's help, you can have a great marriage. And so with that, you need to understand that there will be disagreements. That's never going to go away. But our goal is not to never have disagreements. Listen, our goal should be we're going to agree and find things to agree on even though we disagree even though we disagree. So let me just give you four ways that we can live in unity. And it really has to do a lot with our communication because remember the word discord, remember divided by discord, that word against also means with hostile words. So a lot of times our division is coming from the things that we're saying. So here's number one. If we're gonna live in unity, we have to listen intentionally. Now, this is what I call the priority of the conversation is listen intently. The priority of the conversation is not you talking. Well, I'm just gonna tell them, and I can't wait, we need to talk. And the priorities, they're gonna hear me, they're gonna hear what I have to say. When you go in with that mentality, the priority is you first, not listening. The priority is you talking. But actually the Bible says in James chapter one, verse 19, everyone should be quick to what? To talk? Come on, let me hear you, quick to what? quick to listen, slow to speak. Do you know that communication is the key to a healthy relationship, any relationship? And do you know that the average couple talks face-to-face about four minutes a day? Four minutes a day, the average couple talks face-to-face. So there's a lot of room for error. There's a lot of room for offense. Come on, somebody. And you would think in the world that we live in with all the communication, text, email, and a lot of us prefer that, Facebook. And I'm not saying anything, any of that is wrong, but what I'm saying is that there's nothing like face-to-face communication. And when you have kids and life is getting crazy, you have about four minutes. Four minutes. 
Dale Carnegie said about listening, he said this, you can make more friends in two weeks by becoming a good listener than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. And here's the challenge. As men and women, we communicate a little bit differently. As a matter of fact, our emphasis are different. How many of you figured that out? Like, we, we just communicate uh, differently. And when men communicate, he believes communication should be a clear, there should be a clear purpose behind every conversation is a problem that needs solving. And uh, we need to point out what needs to change. And so communication is used to, to get to the root of the dilemma as efficiently and as quick as possible. How many of you men would say, yes. Right? Yes. All right? We got one guy who clapped, right? And his wife is mad. All right, no, I'm kidding. We want to know what's the gist of this conversation. We want to problem solve, right? We want to put our two cents in. Let's get it. Let's move on. That's our idea going into communication. Ladies, your idea is different, right? Here's what you think about communication. She uses communication to discover how she's feeling. And what it is she wants to say. She sees conversation as an act of sharing and an opportunity to increase intimacy with her partner. Right? Yeah, come on, ladies. Thank you. I got one amen on that, right? But here's the big thing for ladies. The big things for ladies is, at the end of the day, they want us as men to know how they feel. Now, here's the big thing about guys. At the end of the day, what we're looking for is we're looking for honor and respect. Honor is the number one need for men, right? And so here we are trying to solve problems because we want honor and respect. And here you are as ladies trying to share how you feel because you want us to know how you feel. Is that right? Come on, say a good amen, right? And yes, and we've been saying through the series, let's celebrate our differences, but this quote has helped me so much in communication. Listen, let's seek to understand before you seek to be understood. See how a lot of times, well, I hope they understand what I'm about to say. How about you go in and say, I'm going to try to understand this before I put in what I need to say. I like to say it this way. We need to listen more with our heart than we do with our ears. We need to listen to our heart, especially for with us guys, because sometimes we can be real direct. And now when my wife is talking, I'm listening with my heart, not just my ears. You know, Proverbs 18, 13 says, to answer before listening, that is a folly and shame. Another scripture says, you shouldn't even, you shouldn't even respond until you know all the facts. And so we have to listen intentionally. Here's number two. We need to choose our words carefully. This is what I call the pace of the conversation, right? The first is priority. The first priority is what? To listen, not to talk, to listen. Even if I say, hey, we need to chat, here's my first priority, I wanna listen. Now here's the pace of the conversation, right? Is to choose my words carefully. James chapter one, verse 19 says, everyone should be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak. Slow to speak. Slow to speak, right? I think we have this verse a little bit different. We're supposed to be quick to speak and slow to listen. That's not what the Bible says. And here's what I found. There's three, three keys to what and how we speak. And one of them is when my wife is talking with me, and maybe this will help you, is to bring some clarification to what you just heard, right? Let me give you an example. Honey, am I understanding this correctly? You're saying because you have no shoes to wear, that you have to buy three more pair? Am I understanding that correctly? Am I understanding that correctly? 
right? So I'm not just hearing with my ears. Come on, I'm hearing with my wallet. Come on, somebody. But I'm understanding that correctly. And here's the other one. Bring some comfort and celebration to the information that you heard. You affirm what you hear. Or you say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry you went, you went through that. See, that shows that I'm listening, right? And then number three is that's when you bring the consultation or closure to the topic. Guys, this is when you get to be Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and bring in your perspective and solve all the problems. But before you do that, guess what? You gotta listen. And then you gotta choose your words carefully. You discuss, you respond. Colossians chapter four, verse six says this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And here's number three, if we're gonna live in unity, the Bible says we have to be quick to anger. Is that what it says? No. Isn't it interesting how the Bible's trying to slow us down? Slow to speak, slow to anger. But you don't understand we live in this fast-paced world. Yeah, I get it. And it can destroy you, and it can destroy your house. So he says, look, be slow to anger. So the priority of communication is what? Listening. The pace of communication is speaking slowly. The attitude of communication is slow to anger. Here's the attitude. Now, the Bible says that we're supposed to be slow to anger. And then verse 20 says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And I said everything that I said today to get to this one point. The Bible talks about, in James chapter three, verse 16, and I'm talking about a house that is divided. The Bible says this, for where there is envying and strife, wherever that is, there is confusion. And look at these last three words, and every evil work. So there's disagreements in your family. And I think sometimes our goal is, well, I'm gonna win this argument. Do you know you can win the argument and lose your marriage? If you're all about winning, right? I've never won an argument with my wife, but I'm still married. Come on, somebody. I'm learning. Listen, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I, I'm not the dullest one either. I've never won an argument, but I'm still married. But my goal has never been to win. My goal has always been to understand. That's, that's been my goal. But I, I want to shed some light on what the enemy wants to do because he wants to destroy your house. And through disagreements, right, through contention, we start thinking about what we're going to say. We think about sometimes even how to diss that person, disrespect that person. And you need to know this, that contention is coming to your house and it's bringing the curse. And here's what the curse wants to do. It wants to bring strife, but it doesn't want to end there. The, the devil is not going to end there. You give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. Here's the goal. He wants to bring every evil work into your house. You thought it was just a disagreement. You thought it was just an argument. You thought that somebody just hurt your feelings. Oh, it's way deeper than that. The deepest thing that the enemy wants to do is to get you bitter and angry and destroy your house. And eventually, you know what the whole goal is? He wants you mad at God. He wants you mad at God. And God's the only person that can help you. The only person that can help you See, I want to be in unity with God. And so the goal of that contention, division, and strife, it's a door opener for every evil work. I'm aware of this. Every time there's disagreements, I always think to myself, the enemy wants to try to play something here. He would like nothing more, especially for a pastor, for him and his wife to be divided. 
Let me go a little bit deeper. He would like nothing more church to be divided. I'm amazed at how I hear church stories and people dividing churches. And I'm going to tell you, you're doing the work of the enemy. And contention is coming to your house. The curse is coming to your house. You need to close the door and say, I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to live that way. You know what happens with anger? Anger causes us to react in ways that we don't normally react. As a matter of fact, it blinds us to the needs of other people. I read this little this little something that said that if you want to trace anger back to its source, just use a hen, not a chicken, but this little uh, acronym. It's, it says this, when you see anger, it's usually covering a hurt from an unfulfilled expectation of a need in your life. And anger, you've heard me say many times, the root of anger is always fear. It's fear. And many times, come on, let's just, let's just shed a light today on the devil. Many times we're angry, and here's the reason why. We're afraid that we're not going to get our needs met. That this disagreement, that we're not going to be loved the way we should, for us guys, we're not going to be respected the way that we should. Ladies, you're afraid that people aren't and your husband is not going to know how you feel. And I'm going to tell you, the biggest reasons couples fight is because they feel like they're not getting their needs met. Come on, that's good this morning. That's worth showing up. And let me just encourage you. Number one, let God, go to God with your unmet needs. Don't go to somebody at the office. Don't go to the opposite sex and share. Listen, go to God first. Let him take care of your needs. Sometimes we put so much on our spouse that we want them to fulfill all of our needs. Nobody can do that but Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. Nobody can do that but Jesus. Let me say it one more time. Nobody can do that but Jesus. And sometimes we're putting that on our spouse and this anger can come from fear that it's not going to work out. They're not considering me, but we need to be slow to anger. And here's where I want to end. Is this good today? Yes. I want to help your house stand. And I want you to experience what God has for us in this family and in your marriage. Here's the last one. Be a peacemaker. You know, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Do you know that you are blessed to be a peacemaker? He wants the, his children to be peacemakers. You actually are endowed with a blessing to be able to be peacemakers. It's a supernatural thing. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says this, if it is possible... As much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on me. Remember, unity starts with the letter what? You. Unity starts with you. Well, I just wish my spouse, no, unity starts with you. Well, it's because I hate my, unity starts with you. You don't understand, unity starts with you. I'm serious, we had, well, you just don't understand my dog. And you don't understand, my dog doesn't have teeth. All right, listen. Unity. <laughs> Do they sell dentures for dogs? I don't know. Maybe that's a good idea. There we go. William, we'll partner together and, and make millions of dollars. Dentures for dogs. There we go. All right, that's my idea. If at all possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. 
listen, as much as it can depend on you. Now, sometimes it's not possible. Maybe because a person has passed away. You didn't have a time. You didn't have those moments. It's not possible. I, I understand. Maybe a person doesn't want to reconcile. But that's why the Bible says as much as it depends on you, you live peaceable. And even though it's not possible sometimes, I have decided this is who I'm going to be. Whether you respect me or not, I'm going to be respectable. Whether you love me or not, I'm going to love you. See, I've just decided this is who I am, right? Whether you want to live in contention and confusion, I'm going to live in peace. You have to decide who you're going to be. And let me say this. I believe it's a part of the curse. Blame. We need to stop playing the blame game. What happened when Adam and Eve fell? The first thing Adam says, well, God, it was the wife you gave me. <laughs> For his own actions, he's blaming God and he's blaming his wife. And we will never grow and move forward as long as we blame other people. Listen, you can't control what's going on around you, but you can control what's going on within you. And you be a peacemaker. And let me end with this. See, here's the good news about conflict. Pastor Phil, there's good news. The good news about conflict is that conflict doesn't have to divide you. It can actually deepen you. I have found that not everybody thinks like me. And thank God because it would be a crazy world. You do not want to be in my head, right? And can I just tell you in all lovingness, not everybody thinks like you either. That's why we need each other. We need to come together. We need to work together in unity. But how many of you maybe would say this, and I've realized this with my wife, after some of the conflicts, we're actually closer because now we understand each other and we are going deeper. And the Bible says the best time to know when a person is your friend is after there's some type of adversity because adversity can actually cause you to go deeper in your relationships. And so let's not detest disagreements. Let's find what can we be agreeable on. And let me say this and we're gonna pray. Maybe this will help. There's about two or 5% of stuff that me and my wife just don't agree on. There are arguments if we open up that can of worm, worms are coming out and we never solve them. But here, listen, we don't build our marriage on the fight. And I'm not talking about immoral stuff or don't let your mind go crazy, but I'm just saying there's certain things that we just, it's an ongoing conversation that's been going on for a year. Anybody have those things? Yes, all right, people are raising their hands. God bless you. So here's what we build our marriage on. We build our marriage on the 95% that we agree on and the 5%, we leave that can closed. Every once in a while, I want to open it just to push your buttons, but I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't do it. So there, but there is going to be a time that we all have to address it. And that Sunday will be the Sunday that I will not be here. We'll have a guest speaker, and me and my wife will be talking about this. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. But what I'm saying is don't let 5% ruin a 95% agreeable marriage. Can I hear a good amen today? Amen. Because what is the goal? The goal is that we be united so we can stand, not be divided and fall. 
Come on, would you stand together and let's give God a great round of applause for his word. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.